Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Sunday Take for... November 19th, 2023. I'm your host, Bloyce Olson. It has been another week of divide across the country, across the state, and across the city. And in a couple ways, I thought it'd be interesting to bring in some national voices that are talking about these issues. One Republican, one media member, uh, on, on topics that are very timely. And I think it's kind of a preview of your family Thanksgiving table. You know, a few years ago, it was Trump fights at the Thanksgiving table. Then it was COVID fights at the Thanksgiving table. Well, I'm hoping to do my part to preview Thanksgiving in a healthy, family, civil way this week. And uh, and I hope to do that with the idea that the majority of the middle, as we keep talking about, and the mood of the middle is not stuck on the issues that we keep talking about or the parties keep talking about or cable news keeps talking about. And one of the emerging challenges within each party structure is the intra-party dynamics. So for instance, in the Minneapolis DFL City Council, you have conflict over retention and recruitment of police in Congress, you have Republicans that can't pass a Republican-only budget bill. Those aren't different. They are party warfare within a party because someone's not liberal enough or somebody's too conservative enough, and then it's used as leverage, which is natural in any legislative process. But the people who get left out are you and I, or the populace. And so as we go into Thanksgiving, we'll preview this show by saying, hopefully this makes your Thanksgiving table more civil. And if you like to listen to Sunday Take, I hope you talk about Sunday Take at the Thanksgiving table. I'm Blaise Olson. Scott Klug, former congressman from Wisconsin, is coming up next on The Take Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. 
Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. First guest uh, this week on Sunday Take is Scott Klug. He's a former member of Congress from 1991 to 1999. And he's just launched a national political podcast that's gotten some traction. And it's called Lost in the Middle, America's Political Orphans. It is the theme that we've covered here a lot. It relates to Dean Phillips' run for president. It relates to the polls we talk about on this program. And I'm happy Scott can join me now. Scott, thanks for joining me on Sunday Take. My pleasure. Thanks for offering me uh, an opportunity to peddle my wares. Well, no worries. Um, as you're um, as you reflect on your time in Congress, what do you think the biggest difference is between um, members then versus members now, ideology then versus ideology now, or parties then versus parties now? Well, I think the big difference is is that you used to have a fairly wide swath of people uh, across the Midwest. Um, who basically ran on their ability to work with members of the other party. I mean, you know, the idea was the middle is where the oil is that gets things done. And I'm a Republican, so I'm not a fan of adding new government programs and a lot more government spending. But, you know, sometimes the trains just have to run on time. And I think Minnesota has a lot of those similar politics, right? You had it with Colin Peterson, who was also a classmate of mine, Jim Ramsey, who represented the western Minneapolis suburbs, you know, Tim Petty was a friend who you know, was a Democrat and then ran with the Ventura crowd after the governor's election. So there's a long tradition. I think what's happened is uh, we've gotten more siloed, uh, unfortunately, have developed the inability to listen to the other side. And while politics has always been rough and tumble, there's a harshness that exists out there right now, which I don't think is very good for the body politic. When you talk to colleagues, former colleagues, I'm sure you still know some members. What do they say about the way it is now versus then? Oh, I think we're all, you know, you look backwards and so everybody's romantic about it. The former members of Congress actually have a program called Congress to Campus, where they send a Republican and a Democrat out to college campuses to talk to students, to talk to faculty, to have dinner with the administration. And people are astonished that I can be with a Democrat that I served with, or maybe somebody didn't even know, and you can have a rational conversation and stand up for your principles, but they, at the end of the day, shake hands and have a beer. And um, that's a, a lot of that now gets you in trouble. I mean, if you run in a lot of Democratic elections and uh, districts and say you work with Republicans and vice versa, that's a ticket to a primary and it's a ticket to a new career. Are there issues that in particular, uh, worked well bipartisan before versus other issues. Uh, you know, I worked in Congress. There, there was always tension, but it wasn't this divide. Are there issues, even the, you know, agriculture has always been one, or other issues where it worked, where you worked with Ramstead or you worked with, uh, or I'm sorry, not you worked with Tim Penny or you worked with the Democrat uh, to get something done in it, and it, it wasn't tense. 
Yeah, sure there was. I mean, appropriations bills, infrastructure bills always tended to be fairly bipartisan. I, I, it's sort of a deficit hawk, so I can't tell you that I led the charge on more spending to get a deal done. Okay. Uh, that's just that's a mindset more than anything else. Yeah, but, you know, if you look back at even some of the healthcare reform stuff that got done, you know, I, I look at the immigration issue and I can't believe you couldn't pull a Republican and a Democrat who, who come from sort of the same space we do, sit them down over a pizza and a beer and say, OK, figure out immigration. It, this shouldn't be really very hard. You need more enforcement at the border and you need to figure out some way to fix the dreamers issue. That feels to me like a 20 minute conversation rather than a 20 year fight, which it's been. And it's because back to the, the issues with the way districts are set up right now, you go to sleep at night, not worried about a general election opponent. You go to sleep at night worrying about who the hardcore primary opponent's going to be. And that's dramatically different. But, you know, I'm, I'm from a different generation, but there's enough of a romantic and optimist in me that thinks we've got to figure out some way to get back. You can't live under the current state we're living right now. It'll tear it apart. My guest is Scott Klug. He's a former member of Congress. He's launched a national political podcast called Lost in the Middle of America's Political Orphans. Uh, one of the things I'm curious about is, um, you know, you still call yourself a Republican. But then if you look at, you know, issues like immigration, things like that, um, where do you think the pressure comes from? Is it from the activist base? Is it from conservative media? Where, like on an issue like immigration, where does the pressure come from for no solution? I think it comes from both of those places. So but let me just tell you a little bit about how we started this podcast idea was when the first Kevin McCarthy uh, episode happened, you know, I had people stop me in the serial line of a grocery store and in a coffee shop, Republicans and Democrats basically saying, I, I don't get this. I mean, the Republicans are running around the country trying to ban middle school books, and the Democrats are trying to take the gas stove out of my kitchen. I mean, who the hell are these people? So if you look, uh, there was a Brookings study where they asked people, do you want um, a Democratic Party to the left, the Republican Party to the right, leave it alone or split the difference? And the answer, 44% said split the difference. They want consensus. They don't want to have compromise. Compromise sounds like you give things up, but consensus means you built agreements across that. And if you do the arithmetic, 44% of the American voting bloc is 71 million people. It's the most powerful force in politics out there right now. But I think the systems marginalize them. And I think the media, frankly, has the only way they can survive, right, is going down rabbit holes because newspaper circulation is a disaster. A third of the newspapers in the country have gone out of business in the last 10 years. Who cares? When the candle-making industry went out of business, nobody cared in the 1910s. But the yeah. fact that the lifeblood of politics is information and making rational decisions. And if you have a media to survive, that's got to be MSNBC or Fox, or it's the positions a lot of print papers are taking right now. It's the same thing. Unlike you and unlike me, nobody's really listening to the middle of the country. What has to happen for the middle to get noticed or listened to? Um, and that's the million dollar question, right? It's the $71 million question. I think we need folks, if we had more robust primaries where the middle mattered um, on the, in the House level, 
and on the Senate levels, that I think would dovetail into the presidential election. And I think you'd get fairly significant primary challenges. I mean, if Trump wouldn't have been in, if Biden would not be in, I think you'd have five, six or seven folks who really, I think, would take a more centrist position in order to get elected. Um, and that may be naive on my part. And look, I'm not some wild-eyed optimist. Look, I was a reporter, then I was a politician, now I'm a lobbyist, so I have the complete access of evil covered, right? So I'm cynical about this. But I think for the country, it needs a resurgence of common sense and it needs a resurgence, a resurgence of trying to find collaboration and a return to civility, which I think is a big part of the problem. Let's talk about civility for a second. Um I mean, I, I talk about it in my neighborhood where neighbors disagree, but they're still neighbors and they go over to each other's houses and have barbecues and things like that. Um, so I, my sense is Americans and Midwesterners are practicing civility. It's just the leaders who aren't. Is that what you hear when you're out and about or talking to folks? Well, so I'll tell you part of a story. So we talked to a woman in Utah named Tammy Pfeiffer, who's in Logan. The second episode of Lost in the Middle, America's Political Orphans, basically the headline is America needs a big time out and we found a mom to do it. So she's got five kids in birth order, a Republican and independent, a Democrat, a Democratic Socialist and a Libertarian. So she says she did her job. Wow. And the kids grew up putting yard signs in yards. You know, she was a special ed teacher, education secretary. And two years ago at Thanksgiving, it blew up teachers and among her daughters, uh, sons who didn't like mass mandates. And last year there wasn't a Thanksgiving period. And that's the story we actually hear all around the country talking from people who've had fights with family members. Look, I think Thanksgiving should be a fight, but it's whether the Packers or Vikings are going to win or whether you like, you know, marshmallow with your sweet potatoes or not, but it's an ugly scene out there right now. And what she did, she developed with a number of folks in a group called unity a political civility index on the idea that what you should do is look at people's speech so that will help you figure out what kind of leader they'll be in the future. And she worked with researchers at Utah State, focus groups, political leaders, pollsters, posted it on Facebook, and you can hear the symbol crash, 36 hours later she had to take it down because Democrats accused her of making a Republican plot or the Democrats accused her of being a Republican foil. So People are trying to change this, but that'll give you a sense. And I think the place to start, frankly, is a week and a half from now at Thanksgiving dinner where you can have, you know, we can put family and discussions first and get the politics the hell out of the living room and dining room. Scott Kluke, thanks for joining me on Sunday Tech. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. The podcast is called Lost in the Middle, America's Political Orphans. You can check it out where you get your podcasts. When we come back, Brian Stelter on his new book about Dominion versus Fox. I'm Blaise Olson. You're listening to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. Mm-hmm. Welcome back to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. My next guest I'm uh, excited about because I followed his work for a long time. He has a new book out and uh, it's got a Minnesota angle on it. Uh, and my guest is uh, author, uh, former CNN media uh, critic, Brian Stelter. Brian, thanks for joining me. Great to be here. Thank you. Um, one of the reasons why I flagged uh, your new book, I would have put it on the list, but uh, there's a certain Minnesota angle that came out about this. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, 
I think, you know, before we just get to that Minnesota angle, I want to understand how you researched the book, how you dove through documents, what you had access to and how you got access. Uh, This book is basically uh, using the Dominion documents as a gold mine. Uh, The Dominion documents are from the Fox v. Dominion lawsuit that some of your listeners may remember uh, was settled earlier this year. Um, After the 2020 election, when hosts on Fox News smeared a small company called Dominion, they basically claimed Dominion was the villain that helped rig the election against Donald Trump. So uh, when Dominion sued for defamation, it was able to go through the discovery process, the legal process to find evidence for trial. And it was able to read all the emails, all the text messages, all the memos from inside Fox News. Uh, some of this information then became public. It was put in the public domain before the two sides settled in April. And I felt like it was important to, to, to take all those materials, kind of mine it for gold. You know, I read through tens of thousands of pages of messages and come up with a comprehensive look at what went on at Fox kind of before the 2020 election you um you were a cnn uh media critic and you follow uh it you were pretty harsh with for on fox when you were on cnn um so some people might look at this and say well he's just continuing his work to be harsh on fox but why is this different in today's media age and and what what can media and the public learn from this uh First of all, I view it, you know, not as a, a crusade. I'm not an activist. I'm a reporter. And it's important to to explore and examine and scrutinize how big media companies work, especially when a big media company like, like Fox is so influential in American politics. You know, Fox has many things at once. It's a, a, a newsroom, a relatively small newsroom, but it's a giant opinion operation. It's a pro-Trump propaganda operation. It, it helps elect candidates for, for office. It helps get policies through Congress. It helps get bills passed. So Fox has many things. That's why it deserves attention. And, and that's why I do spend so much time you know, paying attention to the network. Um, you know, I think what we, what we learned through Dominion is we got to learn how Fox works on the inside. And that's something we had never seen before. When you talk about how Fox works on the inside and you talk, yeah. you say, you know, it's this propaganda machine and it helps get legislation passed. Is that intentional constantly or does it flare up because of the topic of the day and their opinion pieces? Because, you know, obviously there's been other uh, folks like John Stewart who have tried to get legislation passed as well. So <laughs> is there a, is there a, is there a contrast? Is there a difference? I think that the, the difference with Fox News is that it is a, a essentially almost with, with rare exceptions, a 24 seven ad against Democrats and for Republicans It is more anti-Democrat than it is pro Republican. And, and it, and it is, it is an ad that, that pushes people's buttons, uh, evoke certain emotions. The emotions are pretty clear. Uh, when you tune into Fox, uh, they, they want you to be angry. They want you to be outraged. They want you to be scared oftentimes. There's all these warnings now they, they claim is all these terrorists coming across the southern border. It's not evidence, but it's about gut emotional feeling. It's about fear and anger. It's about a sense of losing the country you grew up in. That's, that's the story Fox tells. Uh, and then, of course, through that prism, through that story, yes, they are advocating for certain candidates. They are advocating for certain outcomes. But I think the, the issue, the, the thing we all have to reckon with is, what is Fox doing to our brains? What is that story they're telling doing to our brains and not our brains, if not our brains, our loved ones? <laughs> My guest is Brian Stelter. He's uh, got a new book out uh, uh, about Fox News and the Dominion uh, lawsuit where Dominion sued Fox News. Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, the New York Times 
uh, review compares this to kind of uh, Al Franken's book, uh, you know, Lies and Lying Liars Tell Them, um, as one of the first pieces that went after um, this. And obviously, Michael Wolf's book is out there as well. Uh, talk about just think through kind of how you've watched this. I think it's interesting you talk about what it does to people's brains. Um, <laughs> since there's a lot of conversations about all kinds of media doing all kinds of things to people's brains these days in Congress and elsewhere. But um, is there is there a is there a difference between Fox and an MSNBC in what they do to people's brains? Well, Number one, MSNBC is uh, a, a different kind of uh, a product. Uh, MSNBC is connected to NBC News, a giant worldwide news gathering organization. And MSNBC has lots of hours of uh, what, what they say, and I agree, is, is straightforward news coverage. Now, MSNBC also has uh, liberal opinion shows, uh, different uh, kind of different types of progressivism <laughs> uh you know you see yep. on msnbc right now for example some hosts who uh are uh who express different views about the hamas uh, israel war for example yep. but again yes lots of liberal opinion shows and the, one of the big differences though and why it's a false equivalency to to say fox and msnbc are two sides of the same coin is that msnbc is frankly much more reality based there's no equivalent of the big lie that aired on msnbc uh certainly um you know with fox news when donald trump lost the viewers didn't want to hear it. The viewers were upset. They were they were angry. And so Fox told a different story. They came up with false hope about overturning an election. Honestly, we know that some people bought tickets to fly to Washington on January 6th because of what they were hearing on Fox. And there's just no equivalent to that on the left. Marlene Bourne is a Minnesotan. Uh, she has an interesting role in this whole story and in this whole yeah. case. Tell that story. Yes, and, and and that is the the beginning of that's the origin story. That's the you know the, the this is this is how we get to January six, how we get there in a span of two months. So November seventh, twenty twenty, that's the same day that uh, all the networks, including Fox, projected that President Biden would in fact be president elect. That Trump had lost and Biden had won. Uh, this woman named Mar- Marlene Bourne sends an email to Sidney Powell. Sidney Powell, the Trump aligned lawyer who was trying to help Trump. Uh, well. I don't know, yeah, you pick pick your you know description of what yeah. she was trying to help Trump do, but Marlene Bourne sends this rambling conspiratorial email to Sidney Powell that alleges that Dominion was rigging the election, that Dominion helped steal it from Trump. Uh, this email, uh, by her own admission, sounds wackadoodle. That's her word. Uh, she also describes herself as uh, you know uh, sensing that she's a ghost. Uh, you know that she refers to being internally decapitated. Uh, she she basically admits, wow. I'm not the most credible person here, but here is a theory I have about the election. So, look, uh, anyone can write a kooky email, anyone can send a conspiracy theory to a friend. The difference in this case is that she sends it to a Trump lawyer who who then sent it to Maria Bartiromo, the Fox News host. Maria Bartiromo sent it to Eric Trump, Donald's uh, uh, son. So you have this immediate chain of custody where this this idea, this, um, this conspiracy theory that the Dominion's at fault, that they stole it from Trump, it gets straight to the mainstream of the Republican Party because the next day, uh, Sunday, November 8th, uh, it is Maria Bartiromo who sets up Sidney Powell to smear Dominion 
on live television. And I, I think what the, the importance of this story is that Maria Bartiromo didn't have some other source. She didn't have some vetted material in front of her. She didn't have some article written by a reporter. She didn't have some Fox News scoop about this. All she had was an email from Maureen, Marlene Bourne. One of the things I want to dig into on that topic is Maria Bartolomo, largely a credible financial journalist uh, prior to going to Fox. Right. Obviously, you went through documents, but you probably talked to a lot of people. You probably had some sources inside Fox about how it's there. If if I did that on this radio station, I probably wouldn't have a show for very long. <laughs> exactly. Um, yes. And so... Um, why is there no check and balance? Is there is is there no um, is it is it just, hey, here's, you know, here's right wing bait and we're going to throw it out there and we don't think it through because it'll get people in the mood we want them to get in. Listen, you, you said it. I, I think you put your finger on it. I think we're talking about an environment on a, on a show like Marie Bartiromo. Let's just take her show because there are real reporters of Fox. Uh, there are real editors of Fox, but Maria Bartiromo's show is a talk show. It's yep. a pro-Trump talk show with very few producers, basically no staff. All she's doing is getting up there and telling viewers what they want to hear. And after the election, after Trump lost, those viewers wanted to hear either, number one, he actually won, <laughs> or number two, it was stolen from him, and here's who stole it. Here's the thief. Um, it is. Uh, it was a form of false hope. She was giving false hope to the viewers under the guise of journalism, under the guise of getting to the truth. They were giving false hope to the audience. And uh, you know, I think it's important to look back at this because that false hope, that birth of the big lie, it is what animates Trump's reelection campaign now. It is, it is the, the, the idea that drives his candidacy now. As we wrap here, Brian Stelter, um, is there more activity like this either at Fox or at other networks where there is on a on a talk show, not on a news show, but on a talk show where there is kind of a gotcha agenda? And obviously, you know, we can we could relive some of the Cuomo CNN stuff while his brother was governor, things like that. But how, I mean, you've been around this, you've been around these producers, you've been around, you did your own show for a long time. You're a constant presence there. Is, is this not just about Fox, but are there other people in other networks who have this same attitude? Like, let's go get them. If there are, I haven't seen it. Yeah. If there are, I haven't seen it. You know, it's, it's one thing to advocate for uh, certain outcomes uh, to, to book certain guests to, um, you know, look, we see that all the time, you know, uh, you see that on MSNBC. You see that on other channels. Uh, there, you know, I don't think there's anything un- unusual or wrong about that. Uh, Chris Hayes is a really talented broadcaster. Uh, he wants this country uh, to uh, to be more fair. He wants this country to have uh, less income inequality. He wants this country uh, to be more humane with his policies of the border. All of those are are fine, you know, positions, and he can argue for them. The difference is is when they're dealing in lies versus truth and reality. You know, it's um. Uh, and, and and that's where that's where the the Fox you know problem exists. Uh, there's just not a version of this happening in other channels, in my view. Brian Stelter, thanks for joining me on Sunday Take. All right, thanks so much. When we come back, this week's take. I'm Blaise Olson. You're listening to WCCO. This week's take is really about Thanksgiving and what to be thankful for. You know, I think we all have that need to be thankful think that the older you get, the realize how good it is to be grateful and thank people. 
it goes along with just kind of common decor. Whether you're walking into a store and you open the door for somebody or you do a favor for a neighbor, thanking people is something that I think we're doing in our communities. We're just not doing it in our politics. So as I think about the battles and things like that ahead, I'm thankful that we have politics to cover. But I'd be grateful if they were less divisive. I'm thankful that we still live in a country that has elections that count. And I'm grateful that 99.999% of them don't run into questions of election security or integrity. I wonder if at the Thanksgiving table this week, we don't ask people, what, what are you thinking? What are you thankful for in politics? What are you thankful for in policy? Maybe if we broke it down a little more on what people were thankful for, what they thought was something to be grateful for, that collectively we could be for some things rather than just being against each other. I say that because, as I mentioned in the open, the divide at every level of government isn't just Democrats and Republicans. In fact, the divide at every level of government has some sort of intra-party battle. One that's going to emerge in the next few weeks is within the legislature. Specifically, the DFL Senate Caucus. This past week, the Council of uh, Arab Islamic Relations sent out a ceasefire endorsement letter from some legislators. A couple weeks ago, Jewish senators, Democrats, sent out a letter condemning Hamas, condemning people who support Hamas. But the conflict only escalated in the Middle East, and the legislature hasn't been back in session. So what happens now? Well, you see, when they're trying to find what they're going to find consensus on to move to the floor as Democrats with a one-seat majority, they're going to be challenged because it only takes one of their members to drop off. And so anybody looking to get a lot done at the legislature this year is probably going to have a challenge. Furthermore, aren't we going to just have the idea that this lingers on and on and on and starts to affect issues like bonding that it never needed to affect? That's part of the challenge on this thing. And I think whether it's the DFL Senate Caucus, the Minneapolis City Council, Congress, more libertarian or conservatives challenging Republicans in some of these primaries, Republicans not being able to get a bill through with all Republican votes to keep the government funded. They've kind of just given the Senate hand. They basically said, well, we have to pass something the Senate will pass. Now there's a little conference, but it's a huge bill to keep the federal government going. And ultimately... It gets passed, and then it goes into implementation. And that's my final point of the take this week. Implementation of some of these programs. 
Government is short workers. Taxpayers expect services. So what do we do? I think the moral of the story is we help our neighbor more. We talk to our friends. We try to find unity. We try to bring people together. So at Thanksgiving this week, practice a little unity. Talk about what we have in common. And before we end the show, here's a message from Minnesota Corn. Sustainability for Minnesota farmers is just the way things work. You see, the Sustainability Minute this week from Minnesota Corn should give you a glimpse into how hard they work to make sure Minnesota's agriculture is sustainable, that it is workable. Because it's about the future for these corn farmers and Minnesota farmers. They want a vibrant future in rural Minnesota and other parts so that their kids can live on the farm. After all, farms are assets. They pass from generation to generation. And yet farming changes from generation to generation because the more they learn, the more farmers want to put money into a sustainability program. That shouldn't be controversial at Thanksgiving. But if it is, go to mncorn.com for more information. Until next week, that's the Sunday Take. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 